so weird to do with you, Amelia. I think I'm probably just going to end up starting it here anyways, because that's just my brand. <laughs> okay, so um, <laughs> welcome to A Place Within. Ashlyn usually does this, so I have to see if I remember my lines. Welcome to A Place Within, where this week and every week we get to the heart of our thoughts, feelings, and desires, where we trust we'll find the gospel and our need for it. Was that sufficiently, I don't even know what the word is. How did that come off to you, Amelia? Oh, that was pretty hype. There we go. Hype is a nice way of putting it. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, would, yeah, I would say hype and an appropriate subway ad. There we I go. Like, oh, the gospel sounds palatable and pastel. I would take yeah. it. Oh, there we go. Palatable and pastel. <laughs> that, that is not what we go for here, but that is what I just did. So well, well put. Um, you may have noticed that you do not hear the resounding angelic voice of the great Ashlyn, who usually is on this podcast, but you hear the resounding angelic voice of a different person whose name is Amelia. Amelia, do you want, do you want a last name on this thing or do you want to be a secret? Let's go for it. This <laughs> Amelia Chorney. Do you say usually your maiden name as well? Honestly, so this is funny because I got a really great, really great birthday gift by a colleague and it's like you can get custom stationery and she put my maiden name. So it's, it just, it just, I just, <laughs> I just feel like a matriarch that's not a matriarch yet, you know? So, she, wait, she put Amelia Tanu-Jornay? Tanu okay. I thought you meant she just put Amelia Tanu, and you were like, look, I went through an ontological change about no. 10 months ago, okay? No, I think... I need you to acknowledge it. <laughs> no, she just put my, my, like, middle name, my, not my middle name, my maiden name in it, too, and I was like, this looks like someone who, you know... It's very matriarchal. Yeah. Well, honestly, the first thing I thought of was the Supreme Court nomination that's happening and like mm-hmm. people who have maiden and last names like hold positions of power. I, we don't have to talk about that. That's I, there's an, interesting. Interesting question, interesting question there about, yeah, anyways. But yes, Amelia Chornay, that's me. Beautiful. <laughs> Welcome, Amelia Chornay. Um, so... This person is this wonderful person. <laughs> and that's the end of the show. No, um, so Amelia and I are friends from college. Um, she, uh, you, I don't I never know how to do this when I'm talking about the other person. Um, but regardless, um, Ashlyn, Amelia, and I are all pals in some sense. And uh, last winter, I was in Amelia's wedding and we are just it's not fair weather friends. That's the opposite of what we are. Ride or die. We'll go with that. So, <laughs> but that's not the only reason why Amelia's here. Amelia's here because she has some pretty cool work that she has done in the world at this point. Um, and I think I'm just going to start by letting you introduce yourself rather than me going and saying your titles and accomplishments without knowing them properly and then whatever you don't feel comfortable saying because you're like I'm too humble then I'll just say it okay (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I am Christina's uh ride or die like in Fast and Furious honestly when you said that that's the first thing I thought about I was like oh we could be in a Fast and Furious franchise that never ends Um, yeah what if I what do I do um I went to the same college as Christina and I studied 
chemical engineering. So we are like kind of like STEM buds from the bosom type of people. <laughs> the bosom. <laughs> yeah, we like and truth and science are cool. Me, me um, science. But honestly, I had this encounter with like the idea of teaching. Um, my senior year when I studied chemical engineering, I got to observe undergraduate engineering teaching assistants learning how to teach other undergraduates. And um, there was this particular moment that I ended up writing like a paper about um, where this one undergraduate teacher used her empathy empathy to make a better teaching move or pedagogical move. Um, and I basically wrote this whole paper about this like 15 minute instance where she decided to empathize with her student and make a decision based on yeah like a, a moral moral um, a moral norm or value that she had in terms of what is good teaching that led me into this like rabbit hole i guess a very holy rabbit hole of <laughs> empathy and philosophy and edith stein i never really did much with her but there and there was this moment where um, i wanted to encounter christ more seriously in a way that was like kind of radical so I became a Seton Teaching Fellow for a year, um, probably the craziest year of my life, um, just because of the amount of, or at least what I tell the fellows now, because I work for the program, is if you want to create, like, all the perfect conditions, like, for sanctity, or, like, be forced to be sanctified, it's like, do a year of mission, you're put in a Petri dish, where everything is literally temperature controlled for you to encounter Christ, mm -hmm. it's really intense. Because it's a petri dish, and everything is primed for that. So nice. Um, Wait, what's? Can you tell the people what Seton Teaching Fellows is? Yes, it is. Uh, okay, this is you know this is a good professional test for me. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It this is podcast a, isn't particularly professional. Great. I won't tell your boss, but I'm sure uh, you're gonna do great. <laughs> one one year postgraduate missionary program. Um, we are now a national program wow. located in the Bronx and Cincinnati. Um, basically, the program prioritizes living in intentional community, um, participating in the legacy and tradition of Catholic education through new and creative ways through our partner schools, um, and then teaching catechesis to um, children at these Catholic schools in marginalized and underserved communities. Um, we follow in the footsteps of like saints like Elizabeth Ann Seton um, and are particularly drawn to this idea of like Christ the teacher. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. So, Go yeah, on. I, I did a year of service and that really kind of, yeah, I don't really know. I still, I feel, sometimes I feel like I'm still processing it, but basically I was just like, wow, human beings, who are <laughs> these people? How do I actually love someone? I have to love someone. I, it's like my job to love them each day. I need to be able to do it now. How do I do that? So um, I ended up just staying in the field of education and just because teaching to me felt like sanctification just for me. There was mm. something about teaching that just made me confront who I was by no choice of my own. Mm. Um, it was definitely, I mean, there was freedom in it, of course. But yeah. again, when I say no choice of my own, I mean like, the, the, like, I was blessed to have the clarity of the will of God, like, right in front of me. Yeah. Um, and, like, I had to say yes, or else I would be responsible towards my students. Yeah. Um, so I taught for two more years at one of the partner schools, Bria in the Bronx. I taught lower elementary, which was a huge gift and a surprise. This is a shameless plug. If you want to learn how to actually be a parent, 
um, you need to teach or men, if you want to become good fathers, be, please consider becoming lower elementary teachers. It's the only way. You heard it here it's, first. It's the only way we saw. <laughs> no, that's not true. But honest, honestly, you're no, rip just, your husband from med school. Well, <laughs> <laughs> precious time, man. Um, yeah, and then concurrently, I've been studying philosophy of education um, at Teachers College, Columbia. Uh, I got married last December. Yeah, Christina was there, the bosom science ride or die bud. Um, Cleaning goose poop husband. off the dresses. <laughs> With tied to go, which I realize is just not actually effective because it's like one tiny dot, like it's like a spot remove, you know, and I we just, tried. I just it needs to be a tied wipe, like a tied to go like. We tried, and you know what? It was a beautiful wedding, and it was not any less beautiful because there was goose poop on my dress. Okay, <laughs> and that, let this be a a lesson to all of you future brides. <laughs> all right, go on. <laughs> made it, made it happen. Yes, um, my husband's in medical school at NYU. Yeah, he is. Um, he's in his third year. God willing, he'll graduate in May. And in my new professional role, I am the formation manager for the fellows program. And it's awesome. Uh, which, funny enough, it, I just had grad class online. And I guess I try, I try not to be like explicit about these things because it tends to confuse people in a secular context. And I, I don't mean to say like I don't share authentically about my life, but I avoid like certain jargon and terminology mm-hmm. so people can connect to my experience better. But basically my professor and everyone else ended up finding out like, oh, you mean formation as like persona catholica formation. <laughs> what did they so think you like, meant? Yeah, they just, you know, I said like virtue development, character development, holistic development, you know, things mm-hmm. that are pretty common. And I think the education world right now are generally considered good ideas, but it pretty much came out. I was like, no, no, no. I mean like a very specific metaphysical development. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's awesome. Not like, I think, like develop metaphysics. I, I mean, in the sense of, yeah, like ordering them um, or like fulfilling certain metaphysics. Okay, that's, that's it. That's me. Yeah. Okay. See, I told it's it is like all this cool, impressive stuff that just like has popped up by your um, cooperation with Grace. So that's cool. Okay. So um, I. I was going to go another direction, but we heard a lot about what you just do, what you just do, <laughs> about what you're up to. And um, yeah, this conversation that you had with your graduate program, or with it's not your program, with your classmates, your professor, um, has me thinking about your experience studying philosophy, um, which is something that I've been in like very much like a Catholic bubble type of theology school. I've been reading about other philosophies um and i have familiarity with other philosophies from past encounters with them or whatever but um yeah it's it's something that everybody in the room agrees in my experience in grad school right now everybody in the room agrees you know that philosophy is incoherent we reject it next philosophy you know um and as I understand it, that is not your experience. So can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to study educational philosophy or to study a type of philosophy at a secular institution as a person who desires to um, form and evangelize and maybe do that in a secular job, maybe in a Catholic job, whatever it may be? Yeah, I also realized, so in, in my answering of this question, I left out a big 
influence, which is I'm I'm part of a lay movement in the church oh, called yeah. Communion Liberation. Mm. Um, honestly, working in a secular public school and trying to again, like actually become Christ-like, uh, forced me to look at my one my school, the institution, the the powers that be, and my colleagues not as projects, um, but as real agents of free will. Um, and so in, in doing so, like, I, I think that was my kind of like first act of love, like in seeing that, oh, out of their free will, um, you know, they're, they're following certain ideologies or philosophies in their own life. Like, I really need to em- embrace those in such a sense, not again, not in terms of my lifestyle or my rule of life, but I, I need to know like who they really are yeah. and where they're coming from. Um, yeah, because I can just love them, love them better. And again, yeah. like there's always this temptation to make it a project but in order for me to actually survive and not become a hypocrite mm-hmm. <laughs> of someone who actually values authentic relationship and, yeah. um yeah i that's i think my my undergird for that was meeting people from communion and liberation who do not fear things of the world right. um i tend to actually be pretty moralistic and legalistic so i'm quite surprised <laughs> i've gotten this far <laughs> without <laughs> losing it um <laughs> I guess that's, again, like a result of, of, of grace, because again, I come from this idea of like a very like Thomistic, right, metaphysical tradition, which is generally what the church's theology and philosophy is, is, is based off of, um, with, with, with other influences too. But uh, for example, like having to study like Marx, John Dewey, or mm-hmm. Afro-pessimism, or, um, you know, feminist really critical philosophy, or all these kind of other postmodern, very postmodern. Yeah. Um, philosophies and ideologies has again provided me more hope than despair right Um, yeah and I would say that because no matter how much you try to escape or rewrite the longing of the human heart Mm. all of these philosophies point um, or draw from this like shared desire for like justice or love Mm -hmm. or transcendence in some way Mm-hmm. However distorted or disordered these kind of desires may result in their like proposal, mm-hmm. um, which is their philosophy or ethics, to me is like the next other step. But to again, to have the hope that my colleagues, my classmates um, who are like living very much in a postmodern world have the same desire as I do, like I also know that they desire the same redemption I do. Um, yeah. I don't know if they'd call it redemption, but right. for sure they want things to be better. They want to be better. Um, and that to me is, so... <laughs> I'm sorry, the cat's been eating flowers when I've been talking about <laughs> philosophy. Um, yeah. And that to me is um, honestly the basis of my experience is meeting people who so thirst for change um, in that these ideologies have become like principles and I can easily connect to someone who has a principle, even mm-hmm. if the principle, again, I'm not talking about, and this is, we can maybe touch on this further, but like, there's certainly like ideas that are just objectively, morally, unquestionably evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not talking about like, like encountering someone in postmodern dialogue about racism. That's, that's actually, that's not what I'm saying. More so I'm talking about, oh, someone who believes who's a pragmatist, like John Dewey or William James someone who might be a Marxist, um, people who have like diagnoses, as a good friend of mine put it, about change um, Mm -hmm. that come from a place of like 
moral good and ambiguity. It might be ambiguous, but the desire and the thirst is real that it becomes a principle. Um, and I have principles too. And that's what mm-hmm. we connect on mm-hmm. is like friendships are founded on principles with the same desires. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a long winded answer. But I'm <laughs> that's awesome. And I love how you um, answered that question from like a, um, just such like a human dignity perspective of like, you know, who cares what the curriculum is? Like, what is it like to encounter the other people in my class? Um, which is like, I think just a testament to, to what you just talked about, um, that that's the priority. So that's beautiful. Uh, but that said, um, are you guys like, are you asked to, um, take in these philosophies and sort of regurgitate them as good ways of, doing education like is it normal for people to question them or is it something that's just like the way that I'm I go into my creed class and they're like okay these are the tenets of the catholic faith let's talk about them let's figure them out and we all agree on them (laughs) so what what is the um, expectation in terms of agreement I I think there's again in like a very kind of postmodern way there's like a general like haze so I I would like describe it as like there's like this general cloud or haze of like feel good kind of normative value statements that everyone kind of ascribes to at the at the college mm. um, the university um and there are things that i can participate without um feeling like i'm uh, violating my conscience so yeah absolutely i want there to be justice or i want people to be educated or everyone deserves education or or we are here to educate ourselves to be better teachers mm-hmm. um so i think that's something important to also note is generally the, the the generic haze that we're all kind of operating in or like a framework is 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 morally like yeah pal- palatable i don't know why i'm using that word a lot but um so again this, most of the philosophies are so a, a big one that's come up a lot right currently in this moment is like critical race theory mm-hmm. um rightly so it's it's a it's a field that i think people have a lot of confusion of mm-hmm. um now, I think this is, again, like a, the virtue of my department that I'm so blessed to be a part of. We are like a little more, um, I would say, na- naturally critical um, or disposed to really listen to each other's opinions about philosophies because we are the philosophy department. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so don't know honestly, if that's normal, though. That's cool. I, I really don't think it's normal. I, I really think that's why I decided to pick the program I did because I just noticed, honestly, the amount of like fraternal... I would say it's fraternal. This sense cool. of like fraternal co-inquiry that happens. Nice. Um, Did you just come up with that? I was gonna say fraternal correction, which is something I've been thinking about a lot for a separate issue. That's <laughs> one of my maybe my, my marriage for myself. But I was just in class and we talked about like co-inquiry, which is again like a common buzzword. But really, like I don't think the idea of co is enough. Like I do think yeah. that there's a fraternal aspect in our program. Yeah. Nice. But it's like, if I genuinely love wisdom, so like Sophia, if I genuinely love Sophia wisdom and you love wisdom too, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to try to push you towards your, your wisdom. Nice. Um, so actually most of the cool. time we introduce philosophies, there's a sense of um, uh, like authority of like obedience in the sense of, okay, this person had something to say that was meaningful. Um, it lasted throughout history for a certain amount of time. It did change history in a certain way. Okay, let's evaluate that. Cool. Um, but the, the idea is that like you can't discard. There's no sense of like yeah, um, something that's like baseless or easily discarded. It has to be critically like you have to argue why you critically would discard yeah. something cool. or even critically approve it. 
Um, now that might just be a, a, a unique part of my program. I know in other departments um, and within the university, um, it tends to be a little more like buzzwordy and that's not a knock. It's just a sense of, um, again, like if you go into philosophy, you probably like to think a certain, you probably like to think um, in a way that's a little more, um, not so on, like it, we're not as affected by on trends. Um, mm-hmm. We rightly so are affected by historical moments. Um, so we've been doing a lot more thinking about like critical race theory and philosophy, but less so about um, like being concerned with staying relevant. Um, because mm-hmm. we already don't have, we don't really have that chip on our shoulder. Right. Um, I think some other departments might have that chip of like relevancy. Um, so there might be more groupthink. However, uh, I've never experienced a time where I've shared my authentic opinion and someone has completely kind of balked at it. Um, That's cool. So I, again, That's I- cool that there's that opportunity for discussion. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And there's other kind of, again, like ideological hazes beyond the like generic moral good haze that, that is there. Um, mm-hmm. Very, you know, you, you, the t- bits and pieces of utilitarianism or, um, you know, social justice warrior type of things. Mm-hmm. But again, honestly, I, I really try not to fixate on, on those right. because I do think it prevents me from actually being courageous in the sense of not being a martyr, but being courageous in the sense of like, I actually love you. So I'm going to share mm-hmm. what I actually think. Like me right. being transparent is an act of love to you by sharing yeah. who I actually am. That's awesome. um, yeah. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I like, <laughs> I have this desire to study all the philosophies I disagree with for the reasons that you're describing. <laughs> so that's really cool. So then this brings me to something that um, Ashlyn and I shared fascination about with regards to you. Do you like how I phrased that sentence? as wordily as possible. Um, (laughs) But um, a few months ago, Amelia sent me this paper that was titled, let me read it, in parentheses, personal, wait, no, open parentheses, personal, close parentheses, freedom, freedom from capital, the educational vision of the Catholic worker as an alternative to Marxism. And I went, whoa, What's that? Oh, and it, by the way, it was by Amelia. Um, <laughs> and, um, and you sent it to Ashlyn too, right? Or, yeah. Okay, cool. So both of us had received this. We were both kind of intimidated by it, but we wanted to read it. Um, and eventually we were like, we should talk to Amelia about this on the podcast. And I was like, oh gosh, did you read that, at Ashlyn? <laughs> and she's like, no. And I was like, me neither. I'm scared. <laughs> but I did finally read it. Um, and I found it fascinating, but before we even dive into it, I'm curious, what was the class that you wrote it for? What was the assignment and how did you approach getting to this topic? Because even I would say as a Catholic right now in this moment, even this title is a little bit scary, right? This idea of like freedom from capital and the word Marxism, we're like, ah, hide under the table. We need to get to the the bomb shelter. I don't know what's going to happen to us. (laughs) So maybe I should put a a disclaimer now. Um, I I really do consider myself an Orthodox Catholic, and I say that with the utmost humility that I try to stay, um, and honestly, with a sense of freedom, love, and, and joy to the fidelity of the church and yes. its intellectual tradition. Um, yes, and that is 100% true. And I should have said that more clearly before. Oh, no, that, that's okay. <laughs> I realized I said critical race theory like three times and I was like... That's true. 
you did <laughs> clarified my sense i know of and i didn't want to do that thing where somebody like doesn't want to outright be like yeah um we don't agree with that but then also like <laughs> acts like we're agreeing and they're like yeah yeah, yeah i totally agree you know yeah, like no, in condemning yeah. that yeah. thing you just mentioned <laughs> Yeah, I should have said like, oh, I, I enjoy being educated on critical yeah, yeah. theory. Yeah, and, like, and having like actual people. discussions in yeah. like diving all the way into it rather than just being like, oh, that's stupid, whatever, which is like, yeah. I don't think anybody who has, it's a broad statement, I don't think the heart of most of these philosophies is stupidity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. If we think that that's the case, then we are sorely mistaken and very bad evangelists. Anyways. Go on. <laughs> um, this class last spring, it was called Critical Perspectives in Philosophy. I had an awesome professor. Um, one of the most, like, he's a great listener. That's something I just flat out, I've, I've really, amazing. just a great listener. Everything that people shared in class, he would have something that was directly connected to what somebody said to build on. Like, I just was straight up, like, I was, yeah, such an awe of his, like, actual teacher, like, teacherliness. Um, so this class is basically a history, I guess a survey course, very brief survey course on um, the history of like, yeah, critical perspectives in philosophy and what critical means or the idea of critique um, really comes from Marxism. So Marx is kind of one of the fathers of critical X theory. Can um, you explain what he meant by critical X, like, and by critique? Yeah, yeah. It, it's basically just... Um, so the philosophical tradition up to a certain point to Marx um, was very descriptive, um, trying to describe what was like making sense of the world. So making sense of time, of historical dialectics, of um, human nature, of economics, of law. Um, Marx was one of the first who critiqued um, what was happening. So to provide a philosophical framework for revolution or for change. Um, then that means just like changing structure or changing um, our, 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 sorry, our ideas of like time, history, et cetera. Rather than describing something, he was attempting yeah, to critique, which means to evaluate um, and to later propose how to move forward or change that situation. And is it always ordered towards change or is it ever evaluative and then saying, okay, and so that's good? Yeah, I mean, generally critical race theory, and this is something actually my professor brought up, is like critical race theory is really great at diagnosing problems. So evaluating problematic systems or structures um, under the premise of um, like a Marxist worldview, which is that um, in order to, to actually affect change on a society, like the idea of hegemony, um, something like all-consuming and all-powerful that's unseen, um, comes from this like, very like basic Marxist idea that uh, you have to change the conditions or circumstances that man is born into in order to affect human nature, hmm. um, which is, again, that's um, sociology. The field of sociology comes out of this. Um, and then critical race theory comes out of this idea of specifically looking at the system of, of race, um, the con construction of race. Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea that like, uh, again, a, a sort of Marxist idea that you can construct aspects of human nature by changing uh, conditions. Specifically, um, Marx's big idea is that economics or political economy is the primary uh, circumstance upon all which uh, human nature derives itself from. Gotcha. Uh, 
for other philosophers, it, it can be different. Um, so you know, fem critical race theory that's intersectional with feminism, or um, mm -hmm. you know, people who consider sexualities look at um, right economics through a lens of uh, how does it like primordially affects affected by X by X factor. Huh. Um, okay. And that how does that then change human nature? Um, gotcha. And I use the word nature here kind of incorrectly. I Marx the even the word nature seems a little too. Um, objective for like Marx or kind of any sort of like Marx post-Marxist philosophy. Uh, Marx kind of believed in like like a condition or a general speciesness of humans. So a, sh a kind of a shared pool of attributes rather than again like a metaphysics that gotcha. is transcendental um, replicated in each person um, and universal. Yeah. Okay so this class was like kind of applying so is mm -hmm. critical perspectives like almost synonymous with Marxism? Yeah, well, at least he's kind of the first to do that kind of work. Gotcha. Um, so, but it's using of, his attitude. Yeah, we okay. looked at some. Uh, oh man, I can't remember his name. He is someone who studied like the Haitian Revolution or other kind of post. So, like anything like post-colonial type of theories. Um, who else did we look at? I should have pulled up this. No, you're, you're good. No, oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I just looked at Marx and then other philosophies that derived the same idea, okay. but included a different factor. Gotcha. So, um, but it's always, yeah. sorry. So, so it's always going at education from this idea of wanting, of evaluating the situation, mm -hmm. um, disposing it towards change. And is it always change for or change geared towards the political economy i don't even know if i'm using these words right no that's great yeah yeah so for whichever whatever that means i don't really know what that means yeah <laughs> so for Marx specifically it was, it was right like freedom from capitalism marx okay. believed that if you were free from capitalism um human nature would flourish so was this class like in like talking about education as freeing from capitalism mm-hmm Okay. Yeah, so we would think about like what, it, what what would it mean to, you know, have an educational system that was not influenced by capitalism or huh. how are we as teachers participating in um, kind of the forces that Marx is describing, like not just like capitalism, but the idea of like labor and time, homework, um, surveillance. So we read some Foucault. Oh, now I'm starting to remember. We read some Foucault. I don't know. Um, talked about uh, Michel Foucault wrote this famous essay on the panopticon, which what? is this idea of like surveillance. Yeah, which is this idea about surveillance. Okay, okay. So about like being recorded or observed as teachers and what does that imply about um, how teachers are, might be controlled by system, by larger systems or hmm. um, what is the purpose of observation or, or, and then kind of this is all kind of gearing towards um, like anything that's sort of really postmodern looks at power. Okay, so yeah, right, exactly. And so in education, like who is in power? What does that mean? How does that affect um, those who are not in power? Um, what does that mean for flourishing? Do you have to be powerful to flourish? Or mm -hmm. what, is, what does it mean in education to be powerful? Are we educating people to do what? To, to overthrow power? Um, to be able to persist in a system of power, et cetera? Like those types okay. of questions. So yeah, taking like a, a Marxist kind of you point to like the classroom. Yeah, that um, is very postmodern. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good thing. So I learned today about uh, 
Pope Pius X and his approach to um, <laughs> to condemning modernism in uh, the historical critical method of uh, biblical scholarship. <laughs> and look, <laughs> it is a good thing that Pius X was not in this conversation. He would be writing an encyclical, sending out the secret police. It would be a whole thing. Okay. <laughs> um, so <laughs> this takes us to this paper where you propose the Catholic worker as an alternative to Marxism, um, which I think, I mean, first of all, how um, bold of you to take that perspective in this class, although being an Orthodox Catholic, I think maybe there's something sort of, maybe it would have been impossible to complete the assignment, the assignment <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so first, what was, what were you asked to do? And then we can talk about what you did. So my professor was really great at, at drawing so many different parallels between kind of Marxist ideals and, mo and kind of contemporary social movements that kind of sought to address this idea of power um, educationally. Um, so we looked at like labor movements in South America, um, particularly like the MST movement um, in Brazil. It's a, a, a land um, land movement to take back kind of for peasants to take back their land um a land occupation movement that's what it's specifically called um yeah so i was kind of asked to just basically write whatever i wanted on what interests me in the course um nice. i also should say that i might even be mixing up some of my own terms incorrectly especially with my like attempt to rehash marks after not talking about him oh my gosh you're fine months. i highly so, doubt that we have very many listeners who are gonna be okay if we, are, that. If, if we are concerned please please like email christina and i'll correct myself yeah <laughs> absolutely but, we'll, we'll yeah, issue I, a redaction <laughs> yeah. i basically was asked to write about whatever i wanted and I could ease i could do like a, a kind of a what i would call like a mental exercise type of paper which is just rehashing the arguments that marx provides to see if i interpreted them correctly uh oh we gotta kind of like scar we have a little bit of a connection problem. You, I heard rehash what you learned to see if you understood and then go on. Yeah. What'd you say? <laughs> yeah, so I could have taken that approach of just rehashing Marx's main arguments in a clear way that was through my interpretation. Um, or I, I, could, I could do more interesting to me or pick one of the other authors. Um, the biggest thing that kind of struck my heart was like Marxism to me felt so lit. So what? Um, so desolate. There we go. Um, just like a lot of despair. Yeah, uh, I agree with a lot of his diagnoses and turn and like a lot of the lines with Catholic social teaching and, and again his diagnosis of the problem, acknowledging that people were being treated unfairly in an unjust economic system, or acquiring massive amounts of wealth, promoting a wealth inequality gap, or not being dignified, be able to not being able to participate in dignified work, et cetera. Yeah. And um, if you're, again, like his, I just want to throw in here really fast. If you're wondering what about Catholic social teaching could possibly align with Marx. Um, I mean, there's a whole document about Catholic social teaching, but an even easier place to start would be the catechism's discussion of the seventh commandment, where it makes very clear um, 
just for the listener, um, if you're like, why is she not just condemning everything? Um, <laughs> and there's something to be said for, because con- there is like an atheistic aspect of Marxism. So oh, there's something sure. to be said. <laughs> there's something to be said for like condemning Marxism. And in fact, it, you will find in the, the discussion of the seventh commandment in the catechism, you will find a condemnation of Marx, of communism at least, um, and socialism. But, um, there's a discussion of both the right to private property, but also this idea of the universal destination of goods, which means that all of creation is for humanity and that the right to private property is, um, this is the way I interpreted it. Maybe this is a little bit false, but the way I interpreted it was sort of like the right private property is a means to an end of having a peaceful. I talk about private property in the paper. I know. So I wanted to throw that in there. Finest for that. And if you want a really intense discussion of this, you can read the new papal encyclical for Telly Tutti. And depending where you fall on the political spectrum, you might be enraged or delighted (laughs) at various moments throughout the document. Probably both if you read the whole thing. I just skimmed it and I found myself just a little confused, but also delighted and also confused. So anyways, but all of these things are present in Catholic teaching, and Amelia is not crazy. All right, go on. <laughs> yeah, so we get to the condemnation part, or the morally questionable part, which there's a lot of. So, right, if Marx has these, he's, he's got a good pulse on the suffering that people might be experiencing in this time of, like, intense industrialism, um, you know, imperialism, world empire. Um, now, his proposal for that is to create a state where, based on his, like, again, idea of human nature that everything um you know religion politics philosophy art those are all kind of manufactured from the base and for marx the base of human life is the political economy work what does that um, mean labor okay um basically like uh the economy is what defines man's um activity who determines everything labor determines how religion how politics, how law, um, all are derived, rather than I think a very Judeo-Christian worldview is like right, our faith, our philosophy, then defines what we produce. Marx has the reverse that the basis of our human activity and nature is actually labor. Um, so that that's where he basically says like, okay, religion, philosophy, art, beauty. Um, the state, these are kind of all apparatuses that the state uses to, to um, control and maintain its its political economic base, capitalism, mm-hmm. rather than them being in itself transcendent goods um, or divine goods in their own right. He says like, no, these are actually just kind of like tools or ideas that come from um, or maintain the power of the economic base. Um, that's where the kind of the atheistic idea comes from is that, you know, you know for Marx's actual eth- ethical proposal, which was a communist state, um, if you had, uh, you know, participated in religion, the idea was, well, you would not be able to maintain everyone on the same economic kind of playing field. Um, religion created another power structure or another ideology that could influence um, the base rather than the base determining um, how things go. Okay. In terms of other human activity. Um, so that's obviously one problematic for like, you know, religious persons, but two also just my bigger question was like this 
idea higher. I mean, Marx's idea was, let's have a revolution. And the first thing that came to my mind was like, one, violence, two, censorship, three, free will, four, how, how are we going to ignore the problem of evil and human nature? Kind of all these, again, more like Thomistic, Thomistic right. kind of ideas. And ultimately to me, I was just like, how are you going to maintain this proposal without coercion? As a teacher and from an educational point, um, I, I do not force my beliefs on my students. I, I literally cannot. I can teach them, mm-hmm. but I cannot like force them to become good people. Mm-hmm. Um, in a communist state, the free right to enforce onto the person um, anything, if at possible, to maintain their economic base of, mm-hmm. of you know, a kind of a neutral labor state where no one was had inadequate, had unequal amounts of wealth or accumulated more than something to create a power imbalance or to resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't force my students to want to be good. I can't force them to want to um, not be greedy, which even itself is a problematic statement because it implies that humans rather than them affects them. Um, but again, as a teacher, like I knew this to be a reality, even without being a Christian, like I cannot force my students to be, to love each other. Mm-hmm. I cannot like no matter how many punishments, uh, and I, I can't even I don't I wouldn't even use the word punishment actually. No matter how many consequences mm-hmm. or systems I put in place, mm-hmm. uh, once they leave my classroom, you know they, they have free will. Mm-hmm. They do. Um, so I was like, this is pretty desolate and hopeless, and to me, up, upsetting that uh, you know we, we want we want to acknowledge, and I think as a Catholic, maybe this is where my evangelism comes in. I want to acknowledge the pain and suffering that people feel very unjust economic system or um, unjust laws or the reality of you know whatever is happening in their life um has, i mean labyrinths exer i can't say the second part exerims i actually read that like during my during my class um uh but at the same time um i also wanted to acknowledge like there there is a certain like room to, um, who've had this particular charism hold on uh, yeah i think your wi-fi is my Wi-Fi? I'm trying to see if my Wi-Fi is, but it looks strong right now. I don't know. How's your How's your Wi-Fi, Amelia? I'm sorry. <laughs> my Wi-Fi is pretty good too. Am I still like choppy? Not right now. It's like you'll be smooth and then you'll be silent for like five oh. seconds, and then it'll do that thing where it's like, and then you're back, and then it's quiet, and then it's like. So, guys, if that's what you heard for the past few seconds, you were waiting for me to acknowledge it. It's been acknowledged, and um, what I'll do is anytime I feel like we're missing something really important, I'll stop you. Um, so I think we missed something really important with the. Did you just start bringing up the Catholic worker? No, you didn't. Even. Oh yeah, I try to transition to talking about. Okay, so so there's like very upsetting, problematic things with Marxism that have to do with free will um, and human nature. But at the same time, in my attempt to again evangelize and to really love people who this kind of philosophy appeals to. I want to acknowledge the sense that like Marx was completely honest and very rattled with the pain and suffering that very he experienced. Um, like very um, transparent and radical with the gotcha. pain and suffering that he saw. Yeah. I, I do think there is an appeal to extremism in a certain way because someone uh, was so moved by something they experienced. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to be able to draw a connection between, again, like, this recognition of suffering that is pretty spot on, but yet leads towards a path that is, you know, potentially evil. So, mm-hmm. 
we studied labor movements in my class and the labor movement, I actually, again, reached out to a friend in CL <laughs> and community liberation. And I called him and he's a philosophy graduate student at Fordham. And I was like, Hey, I'm dying. I'm not, I shouldn't say dying. That's I'm trying to change my language about things that might be mental health problematic. I'm um, having a really hard time in this class. Uh, you know, let me just vent to you some of my reactions. And then I'm also, and I said, like, I'm also really drawn to this idea of Marxism, but I also have this problem as a teacher that I know it doesn't work educationally. Mm -hmm. um, and I mentioned labor movements and he actually said, well, what about the Catholic worker? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think like, yeah. even in the draw <laughs> to Marxism, it's like, not only it doesn't work, it also and we already said that it gets the human person wrong, but it also gets like freedom wrong, right? Because I like mm -hmm. I don't know, it, especially without any objective morals, it just becomes. Am I wrong? Does it become somewhat incoherent at a certain point? Well, for a hun well, you know, evidence shows that nothing really worked without coercion, and I think that's the incoherence. Is like, what do you ultimately believe about the human person? Right. Um. Do you again? Do you think that conditions? define um their flourishing or mm -hmm. yes is so. there something transcendental about humans that can gotcha. surpass even conditions of suffering right um not to say that again you can't ignore the conditions that's 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 not what catholic social teaching is saying it's that you have to respect ultimately that it is a choice of, of freedom right. upon the person to respond to the gift and grace of god right and um, you have to acknowledge intellect and will as like the faculties of the human person and freedom as a required um like presupposition for being able to um mm -hmm. engage those anyways okay cool so then that yep. brought you to the catholic worker and what is that yeah the catholic worker um is this is this labor movement that was founded by Dor dorothy day and peter morin um Interestingly enough, Dorothy Day was a was a communist herself. Um, she was a very uh, radical journalist, left wing journalist. Um, and when I say left wing, I I don't mean like like in the traditional sense of like a Democrat. I mean like um, you know Marxist, um, mm -hmm. socialist. Um, yeah, she you know was doing all these really kind of incredible works of mercy, protesting, you know, coal, coal mines, picketing at the White House for equal rights for women in terms of voting, um, but also experienced this like radical conversion to the faith um, and meeting Peter Moore and, and again, finding out that like it was a total gift of freedom for her to turn to God. Yeah. Was she, 100%. yeah. Was she, um, she was a communist and a left-wing writer before she became Catholic or did she uh, maintain all those identities together? Yeah. I mean, she, so pretty much before she was Catholic, she would participate in like, you know, all the kind of communist rallies in Union Square in New York City. Um, but once she became Catholic, what was so, so fascinating and, and honestly inspirational to me, it was that this idea of like having a personal relationship with someone where you could remind them of their freedom was uh, truly communal. If I'm trying to play, play a, like a, do a pun on words with communist, gotcha. um, it's truly communal. Like she, she deeply resonated with, um, again, the social teachings of the church, yet again, this idea of like personal salvation that only she could say yes to 
um, God did not force her to, and she was just drawn to the faith because again, this was a free gift of love from Christ. Um, I think really kind of inspired her to one, find the, found, found the Catholic worker, and then two, also maintain her identity as someone who was, you know, radically Franciscan, I would say, um, very incarnational in the thick of it with, um, you know, improving kind of the social life of the church. So mm-hmm. the regular parishioners who, you know, were making underpaid wages. Um, and just a concrete example, there's this really beautiful essay that she wrote about, you know, men who work in the coal mines, you know, for obscene amount of hours getting paid obscene, um, very small amounts of money. And she said, like, you know, these men go to the bars after work to blow off steam. They're engaging in like a lot of debauchery. How are they going to be good fathers? And this is like something that really struck me. Was she, she so clearly saw like each choice um, that was very human was a choice of freedom that connected to another choice of freedom. Um, like how, if you're overworked, how are you going to be a good father who's loving and yeah. gentle to your children? Right. How can you come home and, and nurture your children um, and be able to be there for them if you are being treated less than human at your workplace? Gotcha. Um, and that to me was so beautiful was her acknowledgement again of like this like Trinitarian idea of, of, the, of community. Um, she, like she saw this through both the workplace as a source of community of encountering another through freedom, right? Through giving of labor, um, through talent, through gift, um, mm-hmm. through effort. Again, also very Benedictine in that sense too. She's, she's kind of a, a mix of these different spiritualities. Mm-hmm. And then also seeing that connection to like the home. Um, she loved being a mother. She a- firmly advocated for the family. Um, and again, saw like, this is a choice of true freedom and love. Like yeah. the love between a man and a woman um, is so powerfully free that it begets another person. Nice. Um, so again, this idea of like community, um, I would say like she maintained this like radical sensibility. I mean, she still kept all her friends. Yeah. Uh, she, her, her kind of like uh, motley crew social circle of, of New York City. Um, and I'm not going to like, you know, writers, journalists, bohemians, um, mm-hmm. still close with. But again, instead of kind of picketing at a communist rally, she was handing out newspaper issues of the Catholic worker nice. um, while also praying steadfastly, like, you know, during the each day. Um, yeah. And, and I, I should stop there because I, I feel like I'm going to just, just, just side of singing her praises and I don't know if I'm <laughs> your question. No, so. you're good. I mean, it's, it's so good to get a picture of this woman um, who really was like a hero of the works of mercy and, um, fully orthodox if if folks don't know about Dorothy Day she you know wasn't in um any kind of descent um of church teaching um and yeah okay so she and Peter Morin um want a way to address this diagnosis of injustice um which I think that sometimes modern young Catholics forget about um not forget maybe we never knew I don't know um about like the state of human rights in the workplace at the and we did know we learned this I learned this at the beginning of the industrial revolution and what the world looks like without any kind of um interplay between private property and universal destination of goods and as the catechism talks about the way that um the state 
can interact with that. Um, and there will be kind of this, we talked about this on our last episode, that there will be this like radical shift to, and therefore that's why socialism actually isn't bad. And it's totally okay for like, it's in alignment with the gospel for the state to relegate goods because that's universal destination of goods. Um, great done. So there's a temptation to do that, but there's also a temptation to be like, no, like human freedom is foundation for all these things. And so like the government as a secular authority getting involved in the freedom of workers and the freedom of businesses and all these things is becomes just a, or a bigger problem than, than um, it creates the same problem. So there's the, those two like extremes that I think I've encountered um, and swung back and forth between myself. So anyhow, the Catholic worker proposes something, um, not necessarily, I don't, I don't know that it's a solution to this exact problem, but I do see it as kind of just living out Catholic social teaching in a way that is tangible rather than kind of like, uh, especially in election year, we're wandering around like, which political party is going to do Catholic social justice teaching for me, <laughs> which is silliness yeah. um, and very bad. <laughs> so the Catholic worker actually does something. So what does it do? Or tell us about it, whatever you want to do. How does, yeah, tell yeah. us about it. <laughs> so, you know, basically, Dorothy Day wanted, again, to remind people that, like, this idea, again, of anything social, like, is actually Christ-like, um, right? Like, I just, again, it's, it's also, like, honestly, when I look back into it, like, very early church types of things, like, sharing possessions, um, all communally laboring together, um, having these houses of hospitality, running a newspaper where people shared ideas um, and were educated on different ways of being. That's something my professor kind of coined was like, you know, we, we've learned philosophy to imagine a different way of being. Um, and as for Christians, it's almost like, okay, how do we imagine the way that we were meant to live? Um, like, what was that supposed to be? Like, if I had to work in the garden, what would that have looked like? Mm -hmm. um, yes. So Peter Morin was a huge, um, you know, intellectual philosopher who kind of provided provided the scaffold for the rationale behind some of these like programs the Catholic worker had. So like the houses of hospitality were open to anyone who needed a meal and fellowship. Um, kind of running these uh, like seminars or discussion groups where they would discuss different philosophies or proposals for how to live. Um, that was a Peter Morin edition. And then later on, like kind of developing farms um, or yeah, like laboring together um, to sustain themselves on their own produce, food, clothes. Um, yeah. And, and the, the most interesting thing about this all was like Dorothy Day's like invitation and advocacy outward towards groups that needed it, but also drawing, you know, her her um i guess like zeal for this like advocacy for marginalized and the weak because of the community that she had within the worker movement so basically they would like tell people like are you are you sick of working this way are you sick of living this way do you desire like what do you desire like you desire to be loved and to be encountered by like come stay with us come nice. live with us come work with us do you want to work in a way that um you know, you feel seen, um, mm -hmm. or, you know, drawing ideas from, um, the idea of common, uh, drawing ideas from Thomas Aquinas's like common good 
treaties on common good and sort of kind of private poverty private poverty comes from um and then a big idea with personal responsibility actually which is yeah. generally written off as i'm going to use bare quotes for people who can't see it conservative value um dorothy day connected the idea of like man needs some ownership of yeah. work of property to care for because it reflects the way that like kind of God cares for us. Like we are God's responsibility and we need to replicate mm. this kind of call to, to nurture, to give ultimately. Right. Beautiful. Um, for the other. Yeah. In the sense of being able to own something, whether it's like a com- the farm that they all own together, there was a responsibility to other people in the community that was visible and tangible. It wasn't abstract in the sense of I'm creating a, a piece and putting it into a machine and the machine pops out a product and product gets sold. There was, a, there was she, she attempted to recreate this real connect, this human connection between work, the worker, um, and then society. Like the, again, it, the principle of subsidiarity. Mm-hmm. Dorothy Day was huge on having these small kind of intimate yeah. spaces. I don't think her plan was actually to revolutionize the mm-hmm. economic system. It was no to like show people, yes, there is a way to live um, where you con- where you will feel um, loved, like yeah. in your work particularly, um, but also, yeah, from the idea of subsidiarity that like, yes, we can actually care for each other um, in a way that is personal, mm-hmm. um, that isn't kind of abstract or dictated by a powerful system um but rather like i can see the face of christ because i know you um yeah that's kind of the gist of the catholic worker that is lovely so how do you see the ideas of the catholic worker touching those of us who don't enter into catholic worker communities well first of all are the catholic worker communities still around like do they still exist yeah there's um a couple there's a big one in los angeles and san antonio um yeah there's again part of like Dorothy Day's charism she wasn't really like a she's definitely not like a Dominican uh in terms of that structure order um hierarchy and um you know and I I know there's like some faithful Catholic worker communities in terms of maintaining their orthodoxy to church teaching um through Catholic social teaching and kind of other like moral issues yeah but they're still definitely around today um Something interesting to note that I forgot to mention is like, I do think there is a particular call to poverty, mm-hmm. um, spiritual poverty and material poverty, as we know, are like in the church tradition are very closely linked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a Catholic worker community upstate. There's, they, have, they have their own farm nice. um, in New York, but yeah. there's, there's, there's a bunch. Um, so how do you see it touching those of us who don't enter the, um, those communities? Yeah, I mean, definitely for me, honestly, like, the idea of, like, subsidiarity and justice has become so compelling to me. If, if anything, it's made me look at my own spaces that I call communities um, that I work in. So my, my job, for example, my school, my classroom, um, or even just, like, my block or my neighborhood, um, I just like what what really pers- like most personally strikes me about Dorothy Day is like her personal responsibility towards like affecting someone's life yeah. directly. It is um, on me. <laughs> it is on me to be Christ. Um, so in a very concrete way, I mean, I'm trying to become friends with this man who's at the subway station every day. Um, I, don't, I don't particularly give him money uh, just because uh, based on the suggestions and advice of friends who I trust who are 
um, social workers here in New York City, very esteemed people who I admire. Um, they tell me it's not the best resource for them. But I did tell myself that if I formed a relationship with him, that was not, again, a project, but like Dorothy Day, out of a sense of you are Christ to me yeah. and we need each other um, yeah. because we're responsible to each other. Um, I was like, maybe I'll buy him coffee one day. Yeah. Um, so I've really tried to, like just today I saw him and I said, have a good night. And he told me to get home safe. Nice. Um, yeah, so that's on my block. Um, yeah, and then just for like, I guess vocationally long-term <laughs> for my husband and I is just really looking seriously at how we can live in the communities that we serve. Um, and that might just mean like, yeah, living in an area that we've committed to actually understanding how people live. Um, Dorothy Day was very much of the sense of like, what you eat, I will eat. <laughs> what we have is what we share. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't own, you know, very early church. I don't really own anything. It belongs to the community, it belongs to the church, um, mm-hmm. kind of acts, acts two type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so like long-term for my husband and I, like, what does that mean to be, I do think we're in a, in a way, it's particularly in New York City called to be a little more materially radical, um, mm-hmm. which just might mean like opening our house more. Um, we've been trying to do that. We, we really try to like direct our, for example, surplus money towards like common shared experiences with people. So cooking mm-hmm. for people, um, trying to be more critical about, yeah, like if we buy things, it's something that we can use with others. Um, who are we buying things from? Do we know them? Are we mm-hmm. forming a relationship with them? Um, and then just trying again, yeah, to, f- to, to make things that are part of the economy not seem like just like a transaction, but a sense of responsibility. Nice. Like if I buy fruit from you, it's because I, I recognize that I need you. I'm going to mm-hmm. straight up admit it. I need yeah. you. <laughs> and then that dignifies the yeah. business within the conversation of Catholic social teaching, dignifies the business as something that is disposed for the common good. Um, that's a discuss- we keep on talking about this, like that um, businesses in Catholicism are a good thing um, and they are ordered towards the common good. Um, and it's yep. an important thing and a necessary thing for those of us who are not business owners to dignify business owners in those ways. Um, Beautiful. Okay, cool. So I think that makes it pretty clear how that's an alternative to Marxism. And it's, it's, you, you're very generous to, <laughs> to, call, to call it that way, <laughs> because it really does seem to be an entirely different philosophy that does all, it does rest on this concern about injustice, about economic injustice, probably especially post-industrial re- revolution, um, where there is that disconnect between the labor and the person, and then the person also is so undignified. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does all rest in that diagnosis. But ultimately, this tradition of the Catholic worker is no different than the gospel that was presented by Christ 2,000 years ago, whereas Marx proposes something not necessarily new, but maybe it is like a, an, a reshaping of all of that is human person to come up with some kind of philosophy that he hopes maybe could work and that we know doesn't. Um, but we do know that the gospel does work and that whatever our opinions are about how, what the government should do or whatever it may be, we do know that our individual personal responsibility works. If I go down the street and yell at somebody you have to have personal responsibility, go do the things you have to do and don't tell the government to do it. I, that probably won't work. I don't know. Maybe it will. <laughs> but, 
Um, but we do know, and everybody knows, as much as we try to resist this, everybody knows that if you and I serve the poor, and if everybody in the world serve the poor, wow, imagine that. <laughs> that would yeah. work, period. It just yeah. would. Anyways, so yeah. that's lovely. Thank you. Um, we have gone over time, but I want to shift gears for a moment and ask you, as I said earlier, you have undergone an ontological change oh, your yeah. husband. <laughs> you have become one with another. Yeah. <laughs> Can I put it any creepier than that? Um, yeah. So you're coming up on a year of marriage and I, yeah. How's it going for those those of us who aren't there yet or those who are looking back or whatever it is. I love the way you talk about yeah. marriage. So maybe we'll have you on again just to talk about marriage. I don't know. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, it's pretty crazy. He's crazy? Then, no, no. This is, no, I mean, marriage is pretty crazy. <laughs> oh. Um, no, no, no. He's, he's really wonderful. He really is. I think this is, again, related to, um, like, the premise of my paper was that the Catholic worker addresses this idea of desire. Um, like desire is something given to you by God and each person has a different desire. Um, and somehow they all connect to this universal idea that we want love. You know, my desire to be a good runner somehow is connected to be, to love. Um, and, and no one can really coerce us to pursue our desire ultimately because we have free will. So, so in, in that sense with like, with, with marriage, like I think what's been really awesome this year has been like, again, facing that initial question of desire like why did we do this in the first place yeah like what is it about like you that I desire to love like why is and and and, and like I think it, it comes up like over and over again like I have to I have to know my desire to actually know how to love Chris um yeah and then just again knowing that like obligation commitment are all good and they're like good scaffolds just like a teacher we have rules in our classrooms because we want to set the guardrails like any good parent mm -hmm. but i i i tell myself this sometimes and i'm working on it i want i want to be get to the point where i can say i want to do the dishes because i love you mm. not because i have to mm -hmm. um and there have definitely 100 percent been moments where i think both of us have done that honestly chris is probably a lot better at this than i am um chris is just I I tell people all the time I don't really deserve him which I know I do I know I do but like um yeah just I want to be able to do things because I love you not because I have to because mm -hmm. I get again the like connection between like you know very kingdom of God type of parables like to being like and I'm going to use the word slave here in a very biblical sense because yeah. it's 2020 the, the difference between being like a slave to the Lord and, and being like his, his son, right, is like yeah. the choice of freedom. Um, mm -hmm. And in marriage, like, again, I have to remind, like, this was something I said yes to. And I, I better, like, find, I better relish in that. Like, yeah. you know, like, I need wow. to, like, I need to, like, like, I need to, like, seize that. Like, this is pretty great. Like, like, I, I do. And again, I really, shameless plug for anyone who can go. We went on a Jimena Vitae retreat in December two weeks before our wedding and that was like I still think about that retreat like at least once a month wow. um it really just I mean something the sisters said was like no matter if you have children or not you need to have a third love in your marriage like marriage is always trinitarian it can never it can't be dualistic it can't it can't be like one one centric whatever it is like 
there has to be something coming out of you too that is not that is unique and you know mm. um like unrepeatable like yeah. um and i i really think like the last couple of months i've just i've just seen that for for both of us like that's been the best part is like out of the two of us it, it's it's like something we're doing together um and again it's, it's it's not the like oh we're getting dinner together or oh we're right. working out together or like oh no it's the like no we're like actively pursuing these relationships because we both said together that this was our like third love or like mm. um and again it just it feels so much more than like I'm again, I feel like I should give more context because Christina already know, knows this about me, but I'm really not super like gushy mushy, lovey, like romantic in the traditional sense. I, I don't really, I have a hard time looking at marriage that way, even though it is very romantic, but it really is like, I have your back and I want to do like, I want to, um, again, I'm going to use the word crusade, not in the violent sense, <laughs> in the like cause sense, but I have like, I ha- we have our crusade together, like, yeah. um, which is like, honestly, so much fun um yeah it it's yeah it's like the best kind of friendship that's yeah um okay I don't know if that makes sense yeah that was beautiful I like took notes on it to pray about it's beautiful okay great um so gosh I feel like we only scratched the surface of everything that you and I could talk about on this thing so maybe you can return one day um this has been spectacular um we always end our podcast by <laughs> sharing something that's um, like impacting us in a big way. When the term first came up, we thought it was so cute to say rocking your soul and now I'm tired of it. So, <laughs> so what's impacting you spiritually, <laughs> Amelia? <laughs> oh, so I just loved, I just helped organize this retreat. Ooh. It was on the Holy Spirit. First, um, I was about to say stone to flesh because it's the same <laughs> acronym, <laughs> acronym <laughs> for yeah, CNTG well, fellows. Yeah, and oh man, the second talk that was given to us, Father Jorge, who's a, a great legionary priest, um, said like the biggest mistake in discernment is um, a me-focused discernment rather than a Christ-focused discernment. Oh my gosh, um, he could not he be said, more right about that. Yeah. And he said, like, you all forget that the seed has to fall and die before man is reborn. Um, I was just like, why do I always think that it's going to be easy? (laughs) Sorry, it's very intuitive. But I just automatically assume that struggle means desolation in a very millennial sense, like kind of like plug and chug feelings, objective conclusions, like reading prayer kind of from my intuitions rather than like being critical and looking at scripture you know mm. type of thing and finding the holy spirit yeah like and he was like you don't like because when the seed is falling like you're that's the process of being purified if the seed never falls in the first place how can it be reborn and i was like oh so if i'm like falling and i'm and i'm this and i'm dying as a seed like that's something's happening in my soul yeah. amen uh, rather than just like me not even attempting to you know fall in the first place not fall in the sense of sin but like be purified so that was really rocking my soul (laughs) yeah it was I can totally tell that it was rocking your soul yeah if oh like if I discern like you know what Christ wants like yeah most of the time it's probably gonna be hard (laughs) yeah and then oh my gosh yeah Yeah, wow I, I was I was really grateful for that wow that was great
Thank you. Cool. I would say that what you just said is an example of many things that have been happening for the past couple of weeks. For me, that's my racking my soul is <laughs> for the past few weeks, it's an example of it. Like I'll expect people to say something to me that's going to like ruin my life and make me, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Basically, I keep on receiving like little things from people that are like prompting me towards this really scary thing that I'll talk about one day, but not today. Um, you have frozen. I don't know if you're still there or not. Amelia. Amelia. <laughs> Amelia, I have to turn my soup off. It's been, oh, no, she's gone. Okay, guys. So um, thank you so much for uh, listening to this episode. That was Amelia Tanu Chorne. Um, she is the director of formation at Seton Teaching Fellows, which has applications open. I don't know what their website is, but you can just search Seton Teaching Fellows apply, and I'm sure that you will find it if you are interested in doing a year of mission as a teacher um, in underserved areas and receiving the kind of grace that Amelia receives, which, like, I don't know why you wouldn't want that. And if you're a man, you should, like, really think about it. Sorry. <laughs> You guys know how I am about that. Um, but anyways, if you have any questions or comments, worries or concerns, <laughs> um, or suggestions, anything, if you just want to follow us, you can email us at apwpodcast at gmail.com. You can uh, follow us on Instagram at apwpodcast. And um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for um, always being there and for praying for us. And we'll pray for you. Peace out. <laughs>